Welcome to the Next Level Youth Group Podcast. We are a church youth group that believes in growing in Jesus Christ as a family. On this show, you will be able to become part of that family by joining us in our weekly sessions. Let's grow in Christ together. Three weeks ago, we started a, a series entitled Power to Witness, okay? And very, very briefly, I'm going to tell you what we covered in week one and week two. All right, very briefly, and as I say every week, I just want to remind you, you can listen to sermons on every Friday they drop, every Friday morning, Next Level Youth Podcast, Spotify, iTunes, all that. So you can hear the full sermon. But we started off in week one, and I'm going to say this every week of this series, that the Palace of Praise, Next Level Youth, the church today exists because people over these past couple thousand years refuse to be silent about their faith. Even when faced with persecution, even when faced with death, they refused to be quiet about the hope that was in them. They refused to not spread the gospel of Jesus, and that is why you sat here in this room tonight, and that is why some of you know Jesus. Acts 1.8 is the focal verse of this series. It says, you will see power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we ended week one by asking the question, what good is telling people the good news of the gospel if your life looks no different than someone who has never even heard it? And then last week, week two, which there was a week in between week one and week two, we talked about how we need the power of the Holy Spirit to be present in our lives, to be effectively working and operating in and through us, that the Spirit of God comes and lives on the inside of us when we are saved. And what that looks like is He begins to this work of sanctifying us. It's a process. It's a process. And that what that means is, just to put it very simply, is the closer you get to God and the longer the Spirit of God is in you and the, clo- and the, the more you seek Him and the more you die to yourself, your life is looking more and more like the life of Jesus Christ. And a byproduct of that is that you will love others more than you love yourself. That is a byproduct of that. People need to see the supernatural love that only the church can possess show to others. We need to love others more than we love ourselves. Instead of being selfish, we should be selfless. And the verse... And we've covered a lot of verses, but Jesus said this in John 13, and then we'll get into week three here, part three. John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So here we go. We're going to jump into part three. Are you ready for part three? Okay. Okay, just making sure you're good out there. And last week I said we were going to get into Acts chapter 2 tonight, and we're not going to do that. We're going to go a bit of a different direction, okay? And we'll probably get to that next week, Lord willing. But I'm actually going to get into a sermon I was supposed to preach a couple weeks ago on a Sunday night, and the, the Lord was moving, and that didn't. That's, that was not God's will for that night. But all week long, I've been praying and thinking about tonight, and this is what 
the Lord wanted me to talk about. And at first, for a little while, you're going to say, how does this fit into this Power to Witness series? But by the end, if you're paying attention, you'll see why. All right, so the subtitle of tonight's Power to Witness Part 3, but the subtitle is this, Abound in Hope. Abound in Hope. And as I start off, you're going to be like, what? Where are you going with this? Just, just hold on with me, all right? Because when you hear this book of the Bible, if you know this book, you're going to be like, why? You might be like, why are you going there? Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2 says this in the ESV version. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. The NLT says this. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher. Completely meaningless. We see some form of this phrase scattered throughout this whole book we call Ecclesiastes. Everything is meaningless. All is vanity. Life is vanity. 38 times throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, the writer pins this down. If you were to look at the original Hebrew word for vanity, meaningless, the word was this. The word used in the original text was hevel. Say hevel. Hevel. And that word is more accurately translated as smoke or vapor. Smoke or vapor. Now, to fail to understand this is to possibly fail at understanding the whole book of wisdom we call Ecclesiastes. Because the words at just first glance, if you weren't to dig in, the words meaningless and vanity do not fully communicate the point that the writer is trying to get across. The writer says everything is hevel. Life is hevel. And he says it time and time again through these 12 chapters. Throughout the book, the writer is comparing life to smoke and vapor. He's using it as a metaphor. Go dig in for yourself and you'll see what I'm talking about. But he says some things about smoke. He says some things about life. Smoke is beautiful. Smoke is unpredictable. It's uncontrollable. Smoke appears, and just as fast as it appears, it could disappear. Just like that. And life is a lot like vapor. It's a lot like smoke. It's beautiful. It's unpredictable. It's hard to comprehend. It can be confusing, and it's fleeting. Fleeting meaning it's short-lived. It says this in Ecclesiastes 1.14, the writer says, I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. The writer says, life is like chasing after the wind. If you try to run wind down and grab it, you can't. If you try to run life down and grab it by the horns, you can't. Can I give you some truth tonight that I hope frees you and it might not at first, hearing it at first, but I hope that it does. We are much less in control of this life than we might like to think or admit. We are much less in control 
than you might like to think or admit. And that is a big part of, the, of what this writer is trying to communicate to us in this book of wisdom. Life is hevel. Also meaning control is unattainable to the extent that we might desire or may think attainable. You're much less in control of your life and what happens than you think you are. And I just want you to think about all that it took for you to get here tonight and how easily, and you arrived here fine, right? You're here. But how easily it could have been different. When you start your car, I'm not a mechanic, but all these different parts have to go right and operate for you to get here, right? If there's a traffic jam, you might not make it. If you get sick, you can't control that, you might not be here. Just for you to be sitting here right now, that means your body has to be working. Your lungs have to be working. Your heart has to be working. And all those things and more, I'm just giving a snippet of how you're able to sit here right now. A lot of those things I just said, you can't control. You don't control when your vehicle breaks down, unless you buy a Toyota, amen? You don't control it because it never breaks down, even though mine just did like two weeks ago. So anyway, that was, that was a tough day. Anyway, it was, yeah, it was a tough day. But what I, the point I'm trying to get across to you is that you're much less in control than you would like to admit. However, Ecclesiastes does tell us this. The one thing you have much control over is your attitude in the present moment. That is the one thing in your life that you have much control over. So the writer tells us, instead of worrying worrying about how out of control you are, instead of worrying about the things outside of your control, the writer says, stop worrying. Instead, Enjoy a good conversation with a friend. Enjoy time eating a meal with your family. Enjoy time as the sun hits your face in the morning or as it goes down at night. Because the writer tells us and the Bible tells us that one day God will clear all the heaven. He will show us that He is in control and that He's been in control all along God's going to come, He's going to make all wrongs right, and justice will be served. Are you with me? Are you tracking with me? The book of Ecclesiastes also tells us that in light of these things being true, because the writer's searching for meaning, he's searching for how to get control, how to understand. That's, That's the point of the book. And he says, you can't. So he says, do this at the end of the book. What can you do since these things in life, there's a lot that you can't control? He says this, Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. What do we do? We fear God and we keep His commands. The control freak. Anybody in here a control freak? The control freak inside of us to read this book and understand what the writer is saying might freak out 
a little bit. To, to, when we really begin to analyze and study and realize, hey, I'm much in less in control than I would like to admit. It might be scary to some, but the truth of the matter is the, the writer's not trying to scare you. At all. And the truth of the book shouldn't bring us to fear. Instead, for at least for us who are children of God, it should fill us with hope. Ecclesiastes isn't saying you have no hope or you know you can try to do a lot, but ultimately a lot of things are outside of your control. No, that's not what it's trying to do. It's trying to make you humble. This book is full of hope. The fact that I am much less in control than I would like to admit is a hopeful thing. Because even though I'm not in control as much as I wish I was, God is. God is. God is in control. God is sovereign. That means God has all authority in all power. God's sovereignty is His right and power to do all that He declares to do. That should fill us with hope. Let me fill you with some more hope. Let me read you some verses about the sovereignty of God. Are you with me? We're heading somewhere. Hold on. We're heading somewhere. Colossians 1.16 and 17 tells us about God's sovereignty. It says this, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. That's our God. That's our God. That's my Father. Isaiah 45, 7-9 I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Shower, O heavens, from above. And let the clouds rain down righteousness. Let the earth open that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them both to sprout. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe to him who strives with him who formed him. A pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, What are you making? Or your work has no handles? Who are we to think that we're smarter, that we can ultimately question God and what He decides to do and what He decides is right. That doesn't mean that God's not big enough to answer or listen to your questions, but what He is ultimately saying is, I'm the boss. I made you, and who do you think you are? Are you with me? Job 42.2 says this, I know that you can do all things, Job says this to God, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. What does thwarted mean? I have no idea. Uh, changed. Yeah, hey man, honesty. Changed. Pretty much, that's a simple way to put it. In Matthew 26, Jesus on the earth. I'm going to read a couple more scriptures, okay? And it probably, I know it did, it seemed to the disciples like Jesus, that God wasn't in control. Jesus was being arrested, betrayed, arrested, beaten, condemned to die. Jesus says this, 
in Matthew 26, 53 and 54. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and He will at once send more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? Jesus said, you think you're in control right now? Even though it might look like you are, you really think that this isn't happening right now because I am allowing it? I'm the one. My father's the one that's letting this happen. But if I told him otherwise, he'd get me the heck out of here right now. And you couldn't do anything about it. Jesus Christ was reminding everyone around him, hey, you might think you're winning right now. You might think you're in control of my destiny, but no, you're not. I'm the boss. I'm the king. And then we look around the world today, and for thousands of years, men have reigned over the earth. Leaders, some evil, some not. And maybe you look around across the world right now and you say, why? Why did, why did people like Hitler get to reign? Why, why? That doesn't make any sense. If God's in control, why? Romans 13 says this, 1 and 2. Let every person be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. In other words, to put it very simply, if evil men are in power, it's because God let them be in power. Let them. And just to give you some peace, even though this is for free, it's not in my notes, but no one escapes judgment. No one. We either store up judgment, men either store up judgment for eternity to be poured on them, wrath to be poured on them, or Jesus takes our wrath. One or the other. But no injustice goes unpunished. No injustice. And Hebrews 13.6 says this, because the God, the sovereign God of the universe is on our side, we can say this. We can confidently say, Hebrews 13, 6, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Because our God is sovereign, all-powerful, and in control, and will make all wrongs right and more, we, the church, should be the most hope-filled people on the globe. No matter what the news says, no matter the storms and the darkness we face, no matter how dark things may seem to be, nothing nor no one should be able to blot out the hope inside of us. We prayed this prayer over you at the beginning of service. Romans 15, 13. This is a prayer over you right now, tonight. May the God of hope, may the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Our God is hope. It's a part of who He is. And He wants you to be full of hope. He wants you to be full of joy and peace through the power of the Holy Spirit. So hope may abound in you. God desires for His kids to overflow, be full of, and teem with 
hope. We can have hope, people. We can have hope. If we're God's kids, we can have hope no matter what. That's point number one. There's only two tonight. Two main points out of Romans 15, 13. When we are full of the power of the Holy Spirit, when we have an intimate relationship with God the Father, as we grow in our knowledge and understanding of how big and how in control our God is, hope will be our anthem and hope will be our attitude. And we, we talk a lot about what we face personally and how we can have hope always. I'll read a verse and then I'm going to talk about something else for a moment. Philippians 4, 4-7 through says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I've preached about this before. I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which shall practice all understanding. Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you something. I've been at this for a long time. And the closer I get to God, I'm continually growing in my understanding of just how big and how powerful God is. You can grasp it in a moment, but then it takes a lifetime to grow in. And as you grow in that, your faith grows. And if you struggle with that, Paul struggled with that. We struggle with that. And he said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. So if you're here tonight and you, ha- you struggle with believing that God is on your side, you struggle with believing, you let circumstances tell you that because what you see with your eyes, God's not in control, Just know that this is true. What I say tonight is true. What God says about Himself is true. And if you struggle with it, if you struggle with it, say, God, I believe, but I need You to help my unbelief. Did you hear me? Don't be afraid to pray that to your God. Say, God, I believe. I believe Your Word, but I'm struggling with that. Help my unbelief. There's a part of me that's fighting with that. Help my unbelief. And the power of the Holy Spirit will help you. We can talk a long time about what you go through on a personal level and how you can be filled with hope no matter what, and we've talked a lot about that. But very briefly, before we move on, let's talk about the problems that we all face together as a a community, as a state, as a nation, as world, people who live in this world. The God of the universe told us what was going to come to earth in His Word. He told us what it's going to look like the closer we get to the end. He told us in a lot of passages, and I'm going to read this one very quickly. Matthew 24, 3-14. Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to Him privately saying, Tell us, when these things be, and what be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I'm the Christ, and they'll lead many astray. And you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed. For this must take place. 
But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to, tri- to tribulation and put you to death, and you'll be hated by nations for my name's sake. Many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved, and the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. We have this passage and many more to tell us what our destiny is. Do we not? Jesus just gave us a glimpse. The Bible gives us glimpses into what the end is going to look like and what it's going to look like before the end gets here. But the thing is, we focus too much on the negative and we forget the fact that ultimately, even those things, though those things happen, we win. And God makes all wrongs right. And justice is served. And this is the question I ask you. And this is the question I ask everyone. If we know, if we know that these are the things to come, then why do we respond the same way to them? Why do we sometimes respond the same way to these troubles and to what we see with our eyes and what we see going on as the world does? Why? Why? Jesus says, don't be alarmed. This stuff's got to happen. So we shouldn't be surprised when these signs begin to take place. We shouldn't be surprised by wars, rumors of war, nations, earthquakes, nations against nation, earthquakes, believers falling away and betraying one another, lawlessness increasing, Love growing cold. These things are hard to see, tough to go through, not enjoyable. But Jesus says, don't be alarmed in verse 6. This must take place. And if God says it's going to happen, let me just tell you something. This evil you're going to see, it's inevitable. But I want to be clear. When we see evil in these days, we don't just sit back. We do fight. We try to change things. This is not a call to be idle and be lazy. But I am saying that ultimately we might fight and fight and fight and not see the kind of triumph we're looking for against injustice and against wrongs. But here's the thing. Evil only wins when God lets it win. And even though it might look like it's winning in a moment and winning a battle, evil loses in the end His victory is sealed. The devil loses in the end. And God will make all wrongs right. I tell you all this and I tell you what's to come and what you see in this earth to let you know and to let you be sure that you should be full of hope no matter what. No matter what you see going on around you. Abound in hope. Because no matter the amount of bad news you hear or see. We know the report of the Lord and we have the good news that triumphs over all bad news. So when we see the end in sight and we see that the Lord is coming, instead of being full of fear, we should be full of hope, joy, and peace because the end has already been determined and our end has already been determined. It doesn't matter what's going on around us. The end's been determined. God will clear all the heaven. He will make all wrongs right. 
Last thing tonight is this. Number two, we are to spread this message of hope to this world. We are to spread this message of hope to this world. I want to read this to you. If we know God and His Word, we know what the end's look, end looks like for those who don't know Him. Did you hear what I said? If we know God and His Word, then we know what the end looks like for those who don't know Him. Revelations 20, 11-15, I saw a great white throne and Him who was seated on it from His presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he was thrown in the lake of fire. Hell is what is coming for all those who don't know God. And that should bother us more than any war, any injustice. It should bother us the most that we read in Scripture that those who don't know God have no hope. And you know, we have this series, we, this church, we've preached and preached and preached. We've tried to convey and tell you, you've got to tell people about Jesus. You've got to tell people about the hope that's inside of you. You've got to tell them. Why do we have to plead? Why do preachers, why... Do people have to plead with people who know God to tell others about the hope that's within them? It should be enough. Just this passage for you to tell your friends about Jesus. I shouldn't have to beg you. No one should have to beg you. The truth of the matter is if they don't know God, their end is sealed. And they have no hope. But if they do, no matter how bad this earth gets, no matter how out of control this short vapor of a life may seem, there is hope. And that hope is that we get to live in eternal serenity with God the Father. That's the hope that we have. The world needs to see it. To see this hope in operation in our lives. They need to hear it from our mouths and they need to experience it when they are around us. And I've said this a lot lately. As things get crazier out there, and they will. Read the book. It's going to get crazier. We're going to look all the more sane in here. As the world gets crazy out there, we're going to look all the more sane in here. And it's in darkness that our light will shine brighter and our hope will be even more compelling. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace.